0: Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 30 of Swimming Upstream and our first of our affiliate breakdowns for the year of 2021. In these episodes, we're tripping around the system to each level to recap the seasons both on and off the field of each affiliate. For each episode, we plan to have a special guest from within each team to join us to give us an exclusive inside look. And first up today on the show, we're checking in with my good friends in the township of Abacoa, the single A affiliate of the Marlins, the Jupiter Hammerheads, and we are so honored to have with us their media relations and promotions coordinator, Ryer Gardenswartz. Ryer, man, thanks so much for agreeing to come on the show today. We really do appreciate your time. This should be a fun one, but first of all, how are we doing? Hopefully getting some rest after what was probably a grind of a season for you guys.
1: Yeah, it definitely was a grind, but uh, it was a good season, fun season, and doing well, and already looking ahead to 2022 and jumping right back in.
0: Awesome. Yeah, of course we know you were well acclimated with you. I met you in 2020 when you were interning. You were tripping around the backfields, taking pictures, just like I was. And then, of course, the season gets, gets canceled and we're, we're left to go home and pretty much sit on our hands. I mean, maybe not on your side, but definitely on my side. But, yeah, uh, you're now, uh, you know, moved up a little bit. You're now the, um, the media relations coordinator and the promotions coordinator as well. So congratulations on that.
1: Yeah, so that just went into effect. Um, I was my story's kind of weird because of the shutdown. I was the media relations intern in 2020, got there, as you said, like the 20 spring training games, world shut down. I went home to Colorado and kind of worked, made some money, didn't want to pay rent here in Jupiter, Florida, Uh, lived with mom and dad for a little bit. And then when they kind of had the go ahead that everything was going back to normal, I jumped right back in. And I was the media relations intern again. I repeated that role for the season and uh, in about a month here, I will be officially the media relations and promotions coordinator. So all very exciting stuff.
0: Well, that's awesome. You definitely deserve it. Both you and and Andrew Seymour, you guys are always awesome with, with me. Uh, Whenever I need something, you guys are are always responsive and there to help. So first of all, thank you for that. Um, We couldn't do stuff that we do and and cover the teams like we do, if not for people like you. So that's awesome. Uh, And again, you're agreeing to join me on the show and take some time out of your day after the season. So again, thank you. Um, Really cool. Um, But yeah, uh, so uh, you kind of gave us a little bit of inside there with going back home after the cancel season and everything. But just a, a brief background, I guess. You know, getting your start in the game, and then this year your your first season, as we said, um, was this like everything you hoped, and maybe some of the biggest takeaways or biggest things that you learned this year.
1: Um, yeah, it was it was kind of everything I hoped for in a not the way I expected. Uh, I guess it just it was. Great getting to do what I did and, you know, at the end of that I was watching baseball and getting paid to do it. What could be better than that on a day to day basis. Um, it also opened up my eyes to all the behind the scenes action. You know, I was juggling around doing a lot of things as you kind of just have to do in minor league baseball. It's what really makes minor league baseball so much fun to work in, um, which, you know, long days at the stadium getting home and rinse repeat. Let's do it again, which was a grind for sure as we said earlier but it was so cool seeing the back end of things and seeing how much you have to prepare for you know the players prepare as much as they do they practice and everything but so does just every staff member and the things they do you know, every game you've learned something you take something away and see how you can make the next game better it's it's cool.
0: Yeah, we talked we talked to Jamie uh, last year before the season uh, was supposed to start. And he kind of uh, he kind of alluded to the same thing that everybody does a job, but everybody does everything. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, a full team effort. And it's definitely on display whenever you go out to a Hammerheads game, which is awesome, because it takes definitely takes a, a full staff to put these, these things together at the minor league level. We know that. All right. So before we get to the team, I wanted to ask you about the stadium. First of all, um, for spring training, I want to ask about capacity and, and attendance and stuff. Um, for spring training um the park was at a limited capacity um we know that for roger dean spring training is like big big time the minor league season is fun but you know where, where the where the most revenue where, where the most business is generated from is, is those spring training games and then the minor league season the stadium was only open to fans tuesday through saturday so can you just briefly take us through how you guys navigated those circumstances this year and how the team there and your team there rose to the challenges to make the year possible and and being there, you know, we, we know you guys took the protocols really, really seriously. So um, how are you guys able to keep the atmosphere safe, but also keep it the same Roger Dean and keep it hammerheads baseball or Cardinals baseball?
1: That was the biggest challenge of 2021. um, Especially for us with not just the Jupiter hammerheads, but Palm beach Cardinals, we had it, you know, twofold, but just, I think across minor league baseball in general, um, how do you, especially in the beginning of the year and even more so the spring training, how do you have fun and enjoy a baseball game, but also aren't afraid to go to a baseball game. It's a very fine line. So just making sure that we were all kind of responsible all on the same page. And we knew what the protocols were. We wanted our fans to, you know, make sure they were everywhere. I think we said it. I don't know how many times in spring training, but as you know, you were there. I think I could repeat it in my sleep. I'm sure I did during spring training. Um, but it was just, we wanted to hammer it home and make sure that you felt safe coming to Roger Dean. And, you know, you enjoyed your time at the stadium and enjoyed the games.
0: Awesome. Yeah, definitely did. Always a good time. You know, even before, you know, I, I was covering the team and everything, I always called it my happy place. It was just the place that I like yeah. to go to get away and, and and go watch baseball and watch players grow and, and, and be around some cool people. So it's, it's always fun. If you haven't been to Jupiter... Go to Jupiter, go for spring training, go for minor league season. Always a good time. These guys do a great job. All right, Ryer, I want to get starting into the team here, but for our first one overall, another one, I guess, kind of stadium related. um, It's in relation to to rule changes. Um, You know, Major League Baseball tested out this year at the low A level and at the uh, low A Southeast level, which the Hammerheads and Cardinals belong to, of course. Um, For all of low A ball, they limited pickoff attempts and limited uh, times per plate appearances that you could step off, which I think was obviously to speed up the game. But then probably more highly heralded was the introduction of the Robo-Ump system, pretty much, in which a computerized system translated the call to a human umpire who was wearing an earpiece. And as I understand it, that was used in many, but not all, low a Southeast games this year. So, you know, we we know there's going to be rule changes experimented with, and, you know, with infield shifts and reinstituting the pitch clock and all that stuff, especially now with the CBA coming up, those were practiced at other levels and other places in minor league baseball. So my question for you is, how did these rule changes that you saw with Jupiter or the Cardinals, how did they work out? Which ones did you like? Which ones did you not like? And which ones do you think could be instituted this coming year with the CBA? Yes.
1: Yeah, so the biggest one and probably the most talked about one was, as you mentioned, the strike zone. So Roger Dean, we were kind of ground zero for the entire operation. Um, And the reason why it wasn't instituted on every team across the league was it was only at spring training sites. So that included everyone but Daytona. So the reason why it wasn't in play every single game, it was in the majority, but they wanted to make it an even number of games uh, across the league. So there wasn't a discrepancy when you, you know, kind of broke it down. Um, So we had some home games without it on essentially is how it shook out. And then all of Daytona's road games had it on. Um, And we were the only stadium to have the video aspect implemented. So all the video you guys saw on both the Jupiter Hammerheads feed and the Palm Beach Cardinals feed, we had that center field camera all season, which was an awesome tool uh, to kind of just add a different element. Video is not really something implemented in Roger Dean when it was first kind of established. So that was an awesome aspect. Um, And then some of the other rules. See, what else did we mention? Did you just mention?
0: Yeah, I was just mentioning the uh, the step off rule and the pick off rule that you guys had in low end.
1: Those, I didn't notice as big of an impact. You know, in the press box, we would always kind of note it because we just we see a million pitches. But I don't think the casual fan would have really noticed that. Um, I haven't looked at the numbers. I don't know if it led to more steals, more caught stealings. I don't really know how it impacted the games. Um, I know Baseball America is kind of diving into all those numbers. <laughs> They do great. So I'll just read what they say.
0: (laughs) Yeah, agree. They do an awesome job. Uh, I guess just a quick follow-up in terms of the, the system that you guys had in place for the balls and tricks. You said it was really good. Is this, do you think, in your opinion, ready to be adopted by major league baseball?
1: So, and this is just my opinion. This isn't anything official. It's just, I think it's on the cusp, it's on the horizon, but they're going to fine tune in their, you know, the more pitches you see, the better the system gets. Like that's just how the software works. That's how software in general does more data, more results, you know, finer results, less kind of outliers. And in season, we even saw a change. They went from the iPhones on the belt clips, which went over Wi-Fi, to a more hardwired connection uh, from Riddell. And that even kind of narrowed the gap of that delay from the pitch to when the umpire makes the call which at first was definitely the biggest noticeable issue with the system um and so that was they've already kind of working on that so they're just going to continue fine-tuning this and I think we'll just see it in more and more leagues and I don't know when but one day it's it's going to be in the MLB and yeah you still have umpires it's not like there's a robot behind home plate Fans that work
0: fine. <laughs> I try to explain it to my dad, who's like the biggest traditionalist baseball stickler of all time. Like, you have to have the mistake factor, like that, but it's creating an unfair advantage. Blah, blah. He doesn't want to hear it. So, you're going to have those people too. But I think for the most part, most of us are on board, including Don Mattingly, who's a traditionalist <laughs> through and through that wants to see this yep. happen to make the game fair. Anyways, yep. uh, we'll go on. Hopefully that happens soon. But, anyways, uh, we'll go on. Uh, the final thing uh, on the team level before we get to some player specific, Ryre. Um, we got the schedule for next year and it looks like for the most part to me that six game series are coming back. This was new this year, pretty much coming back almost all the way next year with a couple couple outliers in there. Um, but yeah, just what are your, what do you think this does from a strategic standpoint in terms of managing a rotation and from a personal standpoint, it pretty much gives you a guaranteed day off each week, at least uh, from covering a game. So easier to sleep with that schedule and life balance for you. And what do you think it does for a from a managerial standpoint?
1: Yeah, so I I've only known the six game schedule since this was my first right. full year <laughs> and all the horror stories of the no off days and you didn't really know you like that was your schedule here. You kind of you got into the rhythm of a Monday. I can sleep in even if I have two straight home stands. I get a Monday in between. Right. Um, and so the six game series in terms of rotation, I mean, Jupiter, for the most part, went with a six minute rotation throughout the season, obviously not always, there were some rain delay and, you know, just rotation wrenches thrown at us that changed things. But for the most part, that was the strategy. Um, some teams had five with the repeater on Tuesday and Sunday. So I think that's more organizational how they just had the individual franchises view that. And that's fine. Um, and then, you know, for the travel, it made a lot more sense. You just, you kind of hunker down for the week. There's a con to that is that you are just, by that Saturday-Sunday game, you're probably, I know the visiting players, they're ready to get out. Yeah. Especially towards the end of the season, we had, I know, Daytona for two straight weeks. I think Tampa hung out for two straight weeks. Lakeland, you know, middle of that second week, those players were ready to get home, sleep in their own beds. So that is the downfall but. I do think it makes sense. And as you said, it's for the most part, that's going to be the case. I think the only variable is 4th of July, which just falls on a Monday. So we'll have a big, you know, mega bash on the actual 4th this year, which will be fun. Um, But yeah, I I like it. Uh, I think it's nice to have kind of a routine more so than the schedule.
0: Yeah, talking to some of other people,
1: you know, that work with you, they're like,
0: man, I got a guaranteed day off. Like it's awesome. Like, it's don't pretty worry enough. about <laughs> it. Like, especially after those early Sunday games, you just basically get a whole day off. You know. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, we'll go on. Uh, we're gonna come up to the to the club. Um, the 2021 Jupiter Hammerheads, man. Um, when we first saw the roster, first thing that stood out to us was youth. Obviously, we know that you know it switched from single A advanced uh, to single A this year. So obviously, we knew it's probably gonna get a little younger. But with this, how young it got, it was just crazy on this opening day roster. You had Daxon Fulton, Yuri Perez, Nasim Mesa Jr., Osiris. So tons of youth. And it pretty much persisted for most of the year um, with a, most of those guys sticking around for a full season. Um, and then the older guys that were on the opening day roster, like Troy, J.D. Orr, and a lot of the bullpen got moved up. So it kind of like persisted in that youth, youthful way for pretty much the full season got a little older with the infusion of draft guys playing their first full season. So they're coming in This is the first level they play at. So, you know, but pretty much stayed at the same average age the full year. That's what I'm getting at. Um, you know, and as those older guys went up, you replaced them with guys like Salas and Palacios and, and yeah, so it, it was just really youthful the whole year, but they played some good baseball and they were on the verge of the playoffs, like right to the very end, I think.
1: So. Man, um, just- we had it. We should have, should have, would have, could have, but uh, <laughs> they were right. As you said, they were right there to the end for the division, which would have been really cool. First time as a Marlins affiliate.
0: Definitely. So, yeah, just just overall thoughts, I guess, on what you saw, the work ethic of such young kids and these guys like just starting out their young careers on the field as you're just starting your career as as a uh, professional on the business side.
1: I mean, you nailed it. The young young guns for most of that season were 18, 19, 20 was kind of your average age. And, you know, what that comes bumps along the road. But when you get the flashes, it is. They're bright flashes. Like it is so impressive seeing some of the plays they made, some of the hits. You know, Yuri Perez, he stood out on a weekly basis. You could just mark that day on your calendar. We joked it was Yuri Day because it was, as you know, it was just electric. Like it was fun. Um, but, you know, also you notice the low A change. There were a lot of errors and a lot of growing pains and just, you know, maybe that extra throw across the diamond where, probably didn't need to but yeah one hop it and next thing you know we're running around it's a little circus and that wasn't just jupiter that was the league across the board there were some games that were just downright ugly baseball but that happens it's it's young and it it's fun too as i said when they do when it clicks it clicks and it's pretty cool to watch
0: now this is time to work it out right you're just starting your career like work it out now and when you go yeah. up, you just get better. So, yeah, it was definitely interesting because uh, you would have a lot of games this year that I watched that that were were great. And then you would have, like you said, the, the throw it around circus type little league plays. Um, those kind of plays, I, I'm not going to say they were as few and far between at the singly advanced level when you guys were with uh, at that level, I guess I should say two years ago. So I guess that just speaks to the fact of how far these kids are. At such a young age, and that's great to see. So um, yeah, definitely some moments where you, you wish you could have him back. But like I said, it, this is the time to work it out. And I, th- I think for the most part, it was yeah. it was a good team and fun to watch for sure. All right, um, I'll get to a couple of players specific, and you already mentioned the first one. I mean, I have to mention him because he spent most of the season with you guys, Yuri Perez, um, my buddy Daniel, who is my co-host. That's his guy. Like he was talking about him. Before the season started, he was showing me his Instagram videos. He was like, "Look at this guy! I think he's gonna be good." I was like, "Yeah, he looks good." I I, I always say this. I thought he had a couple of things to clean up, but man, by opening day, he was ready to go, and it just looked it just clicked, like you said, and he was great. Basically, every single time out, um, you know, he's competing against guys that are like four years older than him on average. He's a six nine year eighteen year old kid. He's already showing that he can control his body. And like you said, you already hit on it Yuri Day. I mean, I think that we can look forward to many more of those in the future. Um for sure. So yeah, just overall impressions. You already hit on it a little bit, but just give us a couple adjectives, I guess, to describe this guy. How good could he be, how good could he be?
1: It, what impressed me the most about him was his consistency. Yes, there were some, you know, not so great games, but it was it was a not so great game. It wasn't necessarily a bad game all the time. Um But with that long frame and it's just his windup is over that head, which makes it, you know, even taller, those shadows loom large. Um, But he, it's the delivery is so consistent. And when he reaches back hitting 97, as you said, an 18 year old, man, it's exciting. You don't see it. I think he was the only one who you really saw consistently from every now and again, you get the other, you know, there are hard throwers and, low a but he just seemed to be the most consistent across the board to me and then when he's clicking and he's got his change up going it is two ends of the spectrum he goes from 97 to 77 it's <laughs> you you can't touch it so i wish him nothing but the best i hope he stays healthy and he's on the right track that's all i gotta say
0: I think the only thing that we want to see more of, and I've mentioned this before, especially now that he's grown a level, he went up to single A advanced, and it's just the same old thing. It's like no big deal. And again, he's competing against even older guys up there. So it was just amazing to see him. I guess what we want to see next year, the next step is make it deeper into games. He was kind of innings limited this year. Um, And then he didn't really need it because of how many strikeouts he had, but I would say ground ball rate come up a little bit. That could be my only like, small request of him but yeah if he's going to make it deeper into games with the same stuff and keep the velo and the velo separation as you mentioned deep in the games yeah. like as a stud and i've never personally seen anything like that from an 18 year old kid it's crazy right. i
1: mean I, I do think that is the biggest question mark is you know he was it was a pretty hard limit throughout the season yeah so can he go seven can he go eight right extend and keep a, what the velo going for a whole game would be great. And I, you know, I think he can, I just think he will mature with age. So that's exciting.
0: Awesome. Agreed. 100% agreed. It's going to be fun to watch him next year. Talking about maybe even making it up to Double A in his age nineteen season, which would be crazy, but I think it's possible.
1: I will always be rooting for him, so I hope it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed,
0: same. And we know Daniel's out there. You know he's rooting exactly. for him. Exactly. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, next one up, uh, Jose Salas. Um, this is a guy you didn't see as much of uh, with the Hammerheads. He was in Jupiter for the whole year, but most of the year with with the FCL. Florida Complex League, but another one of the youngest players to suit up for you guys this year, also 18. Like I said, started in the FCL and destroyed it in 28 games, 370, 458, 511. Came up to the Hammerheads slash line was a bit subdued inside Roger Dean Chevrolet and of course the old Florida State League, which we all know is very tough to hit, but still respectable. Um, 250, 333, 315. He also hit a homer at Roger Dean. Ended the year by hitting in 10 of his last 12 games already does so many things right, man. You know, inside his little, another 18 year old frame, that's just still maturing already showing power could grow into more. I think he will grow into more uh, walks. The strikeouts ratio is good. Already there, already manageable, looks good in the field, plays multiple spots good speed to him as well. We saw that in the FCL, he was stealing bases, uh, learning how to use it. I think he really, he didn't get a stolen base with the hammerheads, but I think he is learning how to get those jumps. I and agree those he's quick.
1: He can, he can use his speed.
0: Yeah, definitely. So arguably for me, the guy that I'm most excited about, um, you know, to see grow in terms of the younger kids. So for you, um, just some takeaways from him, you know, you only saw him a little bit, but uh, go ahead. Uh, just a few takeaways.
1: Yeah. So what stood out to him was his defense. He is, as you said, he plays multiple positions. He, I saw him probably mostly at shortstop, but he was pretty rock solid. Um, we also had not seen him. I don't know if we're going to get to later, but he was also, he's, you know, his defense is also great. So our, kind of our two main shortstops at D uh, defensively were great this year, but as you said, his speed, it stands out. His bat kind of came around uh, as he got a little bit more comfortable with Jupiter. As you said, I think he finished what, 10 hits in his last 12 games. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely started to show, maybe slow down for him. I agree that his future is super bright. He's got a good head on him and he's going to be a good kid. I think.
0: Agreed. See him palling around with Jazz this week at the uh, the Marlins development camp. And (laughs) Yuri, going back to Yuri, standing next to Sandy Alcantara, who's six five, and (laughs) making him look like he's my
1: size, six. Him next to (laughs) our manager, Georgia Hernandez. That was always my favorite moment. Every lineup was just seeing those two, the contrast.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) Anyways, we'll go on. I got a couple more. Um, Bennett Hosteller, draft guy, comes out. Spent most of the year with you guys, um, moved up to Beloit right at the very end. Um, Ryer, all this guy did is hit baseballs. Um, Slightly old for the single A level, but anyone who comes right into the pros and hits 337, 367, 486 with three home runs in the Florida State League or the old Florida State League, you got to pay attention to that. And then he went to single A advanced and finished the year strong. Also did pretty well at third base from my looks at him. I know he was drafted as a shortstop. They put him at third base looked pretty good. I mean, he fielded some hard hit balls, arm looks pretty solid. So I liked him, man. And I think this kid's going to be good. Marlins may have found a, a diamond in the rough here. I think was like 18th rounder
1: of the draft. So
0: yeah. Takeaways on uh, Hosteller. He's really good.
1: I totally agree. That ball just bounces off his bat. It is. He hits the ball hard and far consistently. <laughs> and as he said, he did it in Beloit too. He, I don't see any reason why he's going to stop. Uh, he's just... Great power. And as you said, yeah, we started playing him mostly third base. Uh, He was probably primarily uh, third base or DH for us. I'd have to look into the numbers, but Mm -hmm. yeah, he was reliable at third. I think he looked really good. He's athletic. Like he can make the plays. It's just, can it be consistent? Uh, You know, can he focus on the hitting and the defense at the same time? Um, I don't see why he can't, but that's going to be probably the biggest question mark for him moving forward. If he continues to hit like this, because man, when you're hot, you're hot. And then there's been a hot settler. so <laughs> he's yeah. great.
0: Yeah, he was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, excited to see him. He's probably going back to belay next year, but um, excited to see him. It's 23. He could be a quick riser for sure. Um, the Marlins don't have, as we know, the Marlins don't have a ton of depth at third base, especially who knows what's going to happen with, with Brian Anderson, so – Um, yeah, it could be a not so far away guy and just drafted this year. So I think he's going to be good. Um, all right. Uh, we'll get to two more and then the quick fire. Uh, yeah, let's go. Uh, the second to last one is Osiris Johnson. Um, interesting year for this guy. He missed the entirety of 2019 with an injury. Um, and then of course all of 2020, 2020. So this guy's career has been very disjointed. I mean, you could probably say that a lot of minor league players careers have been disjointed, probably all of them, but this guy more so than others, um, missed two full seasons, So hasn't hadn't seen the field since 2018 Um, starts the year as an infielder, Um, no getting past it. Ryer, he really struggled both uh, on both sides of the ball, Um, Gets sent to the FCL. The Marlins taught him how to play outfield, comes back up in August and he was much, much better. Um, After coming back to you guys, he hit 261, 339, 342. That's since I think August 17th up until the end of the year. So just about a month, I would say, or a little bit more than a month. Um, Not out of this world with those numbers, but again, for this league and great, it's great considering you hit that 146, 214, 215 before that assignment to the backfields with the Florida Complex League. Biggest improvement for me and in the stats is a K rate. Um, It improved drastically. It was 38% for the demotion and then he comes back and it's 18 and a half. So Ryer, how much pressure do you think playing the outfield took off of Osiris's bat? And how pleased were you with his final month of the year with the Hammerheads? Um, Despite the missed time, this kid's just 20 years old. So Good future here, I think, if he can continue to grow.
1: Yeah, he definitely needed that reset, as you said. Um, We saw two different versions of Osiris Johnson this season. Um, And the second one is, I think, what everyone – or more so what people expected. So that's great to see that he was able – he took the criticism and he was able to bounce back and has, you know, the work ethic to rebound. And he definitely showed the flashes at the end of the season. Um, And then when watching him in the outfield, too – obviously the biggest concern right off the jump was would he be comfortable out there and he was fine by all my standards uh you know two hands (laughs) good communication you know there was no it didn't seem to be as many circus plays as we mentioned earlier with Osiris and outfield so definitely a lot less than when he was on the dirt so that's exciting Uh, and it definitely cleaned up his swing Uh, the first kind of phase of Osiris you saw that big uppercut where he wanted to hit everything to the moon and man when he did it, it he connected but it was few and far between so he shortened it up cleaned it up and as I said I think we just saw a whole better a whole different Osiris in that second half his second stand with Jupiter so that's a super exciting future and I hope I think he will settle in the outfield and has a bright future too
0: yeah agreed I was at your opening day game when you guys were in St. Lucy this year and he did hit a home run in that game and it went very far, but yeah. <laughs> um, I have a picture of it that I took and his swing is just like from South to North. Like it's just yeah, all it's, launch it's angle. Like, like, he's, he was, the he, the like there game. was <laughs> no hitting for line drives. He was going for a home run with every swing. And I think that yeah. that's what he really learned to iron out. In that stint with Florida complex league. Um, he doesn't need to force power because his, his bat speed is going to come by a lot of power prolific. Yeah. Speed. When he
1: hits it, it, it's going far. It's going hard. It just, he doesn't need the, as he said, he doesn't need the extra lift. He'll get it.
0: <laughs> and after two full missed years, I mean, I guess you can kind of ex- expect the guy to push himself a little too hard. Yeah, I think he kind of did that. So went to the outfield, calmed down and it looks much better. So I'm excited for him. I, I was never out on him. I think he could still be good. He's still a top 30 prospect by pipeline. And by our website as well. So I think he was still really be good. Um, excited to see what he does next year for sure. Probably going up to Beloit, I would say, but um, excited to see how he grows. I think he could be good. All right. The last one, Ryer, before we go on to our final quick fire round, before we get out of here, um, it's Victor Mesa Jr. Uh, he spent a full year with you guys, and the overall numbers for me were really impressive uh, for a 19, 20 year old kid hitting in again, hitting in this league. I always say that, but it's definitely true. It's one of the hardest leagues in minor league baseball to hit in bar none hands down and he goes 266 316 402 showed a bit of the speed 12 steals good outfield defense only four errors had five assists i think mostly as a right fielder i would have to double check that but i think he mostly played right field for you guys um hits everything hard and as you know his exit velos as we saw per the tool that you were mentioning before the Statcast tool that is installed um at a lot of these spring training parks um, i was watching that all year especially when vmj was hitting because almost everything was over hundred miles an hour. He hits the ball hard. And, you know, even if it's not going over the fence, it's going for bases. And then, like I said, he could put the speed to work. So, man, I think this guy definitely has a potential for four to five tools. Um, I think he could be really good. And he's still just, like I said, a 19 to 20 year old kid. So, um, you know, thought to be a throw in (laughs) when the Marlins signed him with, with Victor Victor Mesa and here he is. Um, We know if Victor Victor Mesa struggles, we'll see if he can fix that, but he's 25 and here's 19, 20 year old VMJ and he's, Pretty much outperformed him so far, albeit at a lower level, but still. So, yeah, just takeaways on VMJ and where do you think his uh, ceiling is in his um, potential Big League career?
1: Yeah. I mean, he was our rock for the season. As you said, I think out of everyone we've talked about, he was the only one that was with us from start to finish. Um, I think he played in what, 111 games for us? Yeah. I know he led the league in games played. Mm-hmm. He, As I said, he was our rock. He was there in that lineup in that three hole just about every single day. And you knew what you are getting. And as you said, when he hits the ball, not only is it probably going far, but he's going to be flying around the bases and he is just, he's an exciting player to watch. It seems to be, that he's always around action, whether it's on the base paths on, you know, in the field, he, and he's got a great smile on his face, 24, seven. he's always great with fans, with kids. And he loves being in front of the camera. And I think he's got a high ceiling. I, I, Saw him at every single outfield position, as you said, a lot of right field, a lot of center field. Um, I definitely think he has the speed to cover in center field. And I don't know what spot he's going to end up in long-term, but I know he can play them all. So I'm not too worried about that. Uh, He just, you will hope to see that average rise a little bit, as you said and alluded to earlier, it's hard to hit in our league. So I don't think it was a bad average by any means. I, he led the team over qualified players. So as I said, he's a rock. I Marlins named him our MVP. I agree with that. He was with us every step of the way. And he, the future's bright for him too.
0: Yeah, Definitely agreed. Um, average was fine. Power numbers were, were pretty yeah. good, especially for, for the FSL or, or, uh, the old FSL, I keep calling it the Florida State League, which it'll always be that to me. But any, anyways, uh, could used to see the OBP come up a little bit, um, take a couple more walks. That's what I want to see from him. But other than that, really good. I agree. A little um, bit more
1: patient would probably be the biggest. Yeah. Next step is just that'll you know, come. Game in general, he's yeah. got. He's kind of like an energizer bunny. Just yeah. As a human, as a player, you gotta maybe slow it down a little bit. But I That should come with age, by no no doubt.
0: Exactly right. It'll come with age. That's what I was gonna say. All right, Ryder. Well, that's all I got uh, on the team. But before we go, everybody has to face the quick fire round or a handful of questions in the quick, uh, short question and answer format. So we ready to go on this? All right. Let's do it. All right. So first one up. Best or favorite thing so far about working at Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium?
1: Ooh, I'm going to answer that with the same answer. And it's having two teams 24-7, whether it's spring training or the minor league season. That is the best and worst part about working at Roger Dean. It is awesome having 24-7 baseball, but, man, it it wears on you at those dog days of summer. So that's a, that's a twofer. Um, but it's so cool having the two experiences. It is, you know, two identities. And it, there's baseball every single day. Except for those Monday off days, we're playing games, so that's cool.
0: Yeah, two completely. What always strikes me about spring training is, two completely different fan bases You he got. And the Marlins are usually 90%. outnumbered. Yeah. The, Marlins, the Marlins are usually outnumbered. You can look around that parking lot and you'll see mostly Missouri license plates, but yeah, it's awesome. A lot of red. Yeah, yeah. It's still awesome. You know, you see one side with mostly the black and teal and then the entire yeah. right field side is just your sea of red. So it's a cool yeah. contrast. And it happens all year. I mean, Cardinals fans show up for, for the single a games as well. So uh, they yeah. travel really well. A and that's a great it. fan base. And um, Cardinals
1: fans are just like the purest baseball fans. Agreed. They get it. Agreed. <laughs> they <laughs> got start their wild card game. Rooting for them all the way.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I always root, well, you know, once the Marlins are eliminated, which usually happens pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> I like to root for yeah. them just because you guys work so closely with them and we're there for a lot and see a lot. So, yeah, I mean, that's, they're, they're a great, a great, a great organization and equally great fan base. So I like the yeah. Cardinals. Anyways, um, <laughs> we'll go on. Uh, favorite <laughs> minor league pastime or favorite that's so minor league moment that you experienced this year either with the hammerheads or cardinals
1: oh that the easiest answer is the cameron Barstad fire alarm incident (laughs) um for the listeners there was a game where cameron Barstad, uh catcher played most of the season with us uh early started most games a catcher uh, and then he unfortunately hurt his hand and was uh, on the shelf for better part of the second half but He had a foul ball that perfectly hit a fire alarm on the concourse. And before he could even step into the batter's box, the fire alarm's going off throughout the stadium. You know, the whole system's yelling at you saying, please evacuate, please evacuate. (laughs) The staff's running around trying to figure out what just happened. We had a birthday party at the stadium that night. We thought it was a little kid who pulled the fire alarm. That was my first thought. (laughs) Um, Just trying to figure out what happened. Luckily, as uh, Jamie tool or GM, as you mentioned earlier, he was running past trying to, you know, as I said, figure it out and walked past the fan who had the ball and the broken uh, plastic <laughs> from the fire alarm. And he said, uh, sir, I think I found the issue. And quickly from there on, it was, became a great joke. And Cameron was great about it. He signed the baseball first fire alarm. Sorry, fire alarm, LOL. Um, Benjamin Hill did a whole story on a minor league baseball. It's by far and away, I think, Will be my go-to answer for wackiest minor league baseball moment that I've seen.
0: Well, I was going to ask you your favorite memory from your first season, but you probably say the same thing.
1: Yeah, um, yeah you probably didn't say that's so. a favorite. That was there was seven minutes of stress there as what the heck just happened. So,
0: <laughs> all right, so yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Favorite memory from your first season on the job.
1: I think my favorite memory was our Mega Bash Fourth of July, and I know that this is kind of cheating because it wasn't the Jupiter Hammerheads. But right. for the local <laughs> Jupiter listeners, that was the, you know, most lively our stadium was all season. The fireworks were great. The Palm Beach Cardinals won on extra innings and it was an electric finish going back and forth. It was super fun and just that was kind of the first sense of hopefully we're getting back to normal. And, man, I can't wait to see a full – stadium for spring training again and minor league games, big promotions next year. So that was just those two days, the third and fourth, it's fun. And I recommend everyone comes out because we put on a show.
0: Yeah. Those are always awesome. Um, yeah. You know, I, and as Ryder mentioned earlier, they're doing it on the fourth this coming year, I believe. So yep. that's going to be awesome. Those are always super fun. I usually see it like the day before the day before the fourth, but to have it on the fourth, in addition to what they already do, it's, it's always awesome. Always a good time. Yeah, uh, good vendors go out. It's it's always fun. Um and that whole area is great. I love Apocolo. You know, even if I'm not at a game, I hang out there a lot a lot and a lot sure. of our local and businesses. is always cool.
1: buzzing. That downtown area is a ton of fun too. So, I yeah, it's a good place to be on the 4th of July. Let's put it that way. You.
0: So, yeah, if you guys are already, already aren't already convinced, go see a baseball game, in Jupiter. If you're able to go to do <laughs> ju- a
1: lot of baseball games. <laughs> exactly. See all of the baseball games. <laughs>
0: Yes, I go to a lot of them. Anyways, I
1: know you do.
0: uh, We'll go on. Um, You kind of segued it perfectly uh, mentioning promotions, but uh, you know, I just wanted to ask, as the now new promotions coordinator, I'm not going to ask you, "Hey, what's happening next season?" Because we got to wait and see, right? So I'm not going to ask you that one. But I'll ask you, um, you know, either growing up as a kid or you know, coming up as a pro, uh, you know, growing into your role here. What has been your favorite promotion, either? the Hammerheads or Cardinals have done or a promotion that another team has done. It could be big league, minor league. That made you say, Hey, that's pretty cool.
1: Oh man. The one that I know it's kind of becoming the go-to answer, but the Savannah bananas are changing <laughs> baseball. We talk about them all the time in the office. We just had our big staff retreat and ton of our time was talked about what they do and just the innovation. They're the ones who really are made me see like what we can do. Obviously they have, a little bit less rules than we do, but yeah. (laughs) just just opening my eyes that truly, if you think it, you can do it. So I love that mentality, but growing up as a kid, I was always a sucker for bobbleheads. I have a whole shelf back home. I grew up in Colorado. I have a whole shelf of Rockies bobbleheads. Some are broken. I got Jake Plummer Bronco bobbleheads. I got, if there was a bobblehead in the city of Denver, that's the game I wanted to be at. So I'm always a sucker for that. Uh, so I'm gonna have a hard push for a couple of bobbleheads coming up this year. No promises by any means, but I think that is that's quintessential minor league baseball baseball promo to me. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that'll be music to many fans ears, and you know no, once again, yeah, no promises,
1: play. but of course, but in if, if, you know, if result, it happens. I'd have them <laughs> every weekend. <laughs> if,
0: if it happens, I mean still, but just to just to know that you're gonna push for that. That's that's awesome. Um, you guys had one a couple years ago with Real Muto, and it's really cool, even though JT's not here anymore, but yeah, The bananas are crazy. Uh, my girlfriend always talks about them and shows me their highlights and stuff. I, I don't think it would fly with the organization if, like, Nasim Nini has walked to the plate on stilts or anything, but
1: you know, no. <laughs> maybe something. Similar. I don't think right. we could get Dax Fulton, you know, pitching it in, the, in his underwear, but
0: yeah, I don't think so. But
1: yeah, you know, we'll see. And again, they, they are the extreme end of the spectrum. We obviously know our limitations, but right? Exactly. The fact that they're opening up people's eyes, right? Yeah, it's- baseball is. That's super exciting. That's
0: a whole new, it brings out like a whole new crowd, you know, a whole, totally a whole new fan base, right? Cool.
1: So that's going to be the motto moving forward as they've instituted that. That is their motto. So it's exciting yeah.
0: for sure. All right. I got a last one and then we'll let you go. Um, and this is going to be back on the on-field product, not only for the hammerheads, but Marlins as a whole scale of one to 10. And from what you've seen this year with the hammerheads and maybe following some of the other affiliates, How much confidence do you, Ryer, have in the current talent level in the Marlins system?
1: Man, it is exciting what the future can hold. I know there's no promises in baseball. Minor league baseball is who knows, but on paper, the entire Marlins organization, top to bottom, is exciting. So it's fun to work inside that organization and see all the talent I mean, even though we didn't have the 2020 uh, 20 season, you know, seeing some 2019 guys have success too. For us, it's, it's exciting just seeing all these guys move up through the ranks. And Miami has a wealth of young, exciting electric players that who knows what they're going to do with it. There's a lot of questions. I get that. But on paper, as I said, I'll take the, these prospects over a lot it's a short list where you got to really persuade me to think outside the Marlins organization.
0: Agreed. I think a lot of us agree with you. I'm excited for what's coming. As you said, big offseason coming. we got to see who stays and who goes, but uh, that's a conversation for another day. We're talking about right now and right now the Marlins are an awesome system and it was a pleasure to cover them this year again for all of you guys. And it's thanks to people like Ryer, um, his team and Roger Dean, every affiliate. That's so great with us. So we want to thank him again. We want to thank Andrew. We want to thank, Amanda, we want to thank Jamie. Everybody, Sarah, she's not, she's no longer there, but she was there this year. All awesome people. They do a yeah. great job.
1: Um, great Seth, top to yeah. bottom.
0: Please go out and see these people. They're always welcoming. They're always great. And you get an affordable baseball game and you see some, some bright young stars. So go see the Hammerheads um, and let us know how it went. We're going to guarantee it's nothing but awesome. So Ryerman, <laughs> thanks again for, for, for coming on the show. I appreciate me. it. Yeah, for sure. And I look forward to everything that you're going to do next year and, and following your career as a professional as well. Because I think you're- Likewise, you guys there. are
1: great at shining a light on all these great prospects that we mentioned and throughout the organization. So keep doing what you do. It's good for the Marlins community.
0: All right. We appreciate the kind words. Guys, that's Ryer Gardensworth. He is the awesome media relations coordinator and promotions coordinator, newly, promos- uh, newly pr- um, appointed promotions coordinator for the Jupiter Hammerheads. Uh, an awesome guy. Does some awesome work and we wish him nothing but the best this coming year. Hope he gets some rest here before he has to go on into perusing what's going to happen in 2022. We thank Ryder so much for his time. We hope you guys enjoyed the episode and that's going to do it for now. We'll see you guys next time on Swimming
1: Upstream.